When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. That were the words, we don't want to finish in the Champions League. But every time it was going wrong, we just kept turning around and blaming the coaches. He literally gets what he wants and whatever he says goes. Um, and, we, and we ended up getting relegated that year, which I think was down to you know what was in that dressing room at the time. Well, it was really Sky that put an end to that. They may not have handled it very well. Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. This podcast has been set up by Technolwood School and our aim is to teach our students new skills through podcasting. Each week we chat to famous sportsmen and women from around the world. We delve deep into their sporting careers, their highs and lows and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. All of our students' hard work and dedication has paid off as we have recently won a Global Sports Podcast Award for the best equality in social sports podcast. Last enough from me, I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, which are our students who host the podcast, and I will let them introduce today's guest. Thank you. Tenorwood School is a school for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sports <laughs> men and women from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TDS Sports Podcast is a former professional rugby player. He has played for Leicester, Tigers, Bath and England. He is now the head coach at Northampton Saints. Welcome to the podcast, Sam Vesti. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for, having thanks me on for being on. Yeah, thanks for joining. Yeah. Um, before we start, we just wanted to say that if throughout this podcast, if you have any questions for us about anything about our podcast or you have a question about autism, then please ask. We like to answer your questions as well. Yeah, this is a conversation, not an interrogation. <laughs> Unless you committed a crime, this is not an interrogation. <laughs> I'm not admitting to any crime, so... Yeah. <laughs> we we like to start our podcast with some random questions before we start talking about your career. Are you ready? I hope so. <laughs> Who is the most famous person in your phone book? Um, probably Martin Johnson. If you could trade lives with anyone for a day, who would it be and Why? Oh, that's a good question. Um, someone, either Rishi Sunak, our Prime Minister, or maybe the American President, just to see what that what that actually entails. That job, and probably feel the pressure of it for a day, and then uh, and then get out of there quite quickly. Cool. <laughs> <Going, Yeah>. Nope. <laughs> if you could have any superpower, what would you have, and why? What would I have? Or, I mean, the ability to see the future would be, you could use it to do lots of good things, couldn't you, I think? Um, Mm -hmm. Although it might make life a little bit boring. So I'll say that. I think I'll 
yeah. yeah. The ability to see the future. Okay. It could come in handy. It could help you avoid stepping on a, the proverbial landmines when talking to somebody. Exactly. <laughs> and we've all been there, haven't we? We've all yeah. put our foot in it. Where do you get yeah. that grammar from? <laughs> Don't ask me. Um, thank you for answering those questions. Let's chat about your career. We want to take you back to the beginning and talk about your childhood. What are your memories of growing up and did you always want to be a rugby player? <laughs> um, I always wanted to play rugby. I, I didn't necessarily want to be a, a professional rugby player. That certainly wasn't in my um, thoughts until well, until I was 18, really, I, I think. Um, I My dad played a lot of rugby, so I, I grew up going to my local rugby club and I spent most of my Saturdays there, being there the whole day with my brothers running around and enjoying that side of, you know, rugby and what it was. So I sort of, I take a lot from that because that was uh, um, an important part in my career, an important part of my childhood that, you know, allowed me to go and and have a career. What I I really did a lot of was uh, played a lot of sports. I played a lot of tennis, played a lot of um, cricket and a lot of rugby. So I was always outside, always playing stuff um and i had a great childhood really and um mm-hmm. yeah um, i personally prefer tennis out of either two sports you listed do you? Do yeah you i play? like yeah i like hitting balls with rackets and things there you go. have you ever tried playing tennis and cricket and rugby have you tried those sports um tennis and cricket yes rugby not so much not so much you started your career at leicester Leicestershire, Leicester, Leicester, and made your debut in two thousand and one. What are your memories of the that the club at that age and making your debut? Um, when I made my debut, Leicester were really, really strong, and they just won the the Heineken Cup, um, the European Cup. They just won the league for the third, fourth time on the trot. They were definitely the, t- the team to beat. And um, I remember just being involved with that group of players, being sort of try- being involved in that squad that had, you know, the England captain, Martin Johnson, um, Martin Corey, uh, Ben Kay. It just had some amazing players. They've all gone on to have wonderful careers and most of them were in the England team. So it was always a bit, to be honest, though, I must admit, I didn't, I didn't sort of phase me because I just felt it was just normal. So I turned up, and that's who I was training with. Um, but in hindsight, I was so fortunate to be part of that group and and see how they did things, and actually learned. I learned an awful lot, and I remember making my debut. Um, I actually played, I think, three minutes off the bench up at. Mm-hmm. Leeds on my first game, I think, and then actually made my my home debut was at in, in a proper game was at Newcastle the week after, and um, opposite me was Johnny Wilkinson. So in my first my first game playing ten for Leicester Tigers, um, I managed to beat Johnny Wilkinson. Thanks to a lot yeah. of my uh, teammates, I'm going to say. <laughs> um, you were joining a very strong Leicester side who had just won back to the Heineken Cups. 
did this help you as a young player breaking into the first team or did it add pressure to you to perform straight away? Um, I don't know really. I think they set up a, it set up an environment, an environment that was really competitive. Um, so if you weren't, if you weren't on top of your game, you, you got found out quite quickly and, you got sort of spat out, so you wouldn't have lasted very long. So you had to be on top of your game all the time. Um, and I think that's probably what I took from from being in that such a competitive environment. I think it brought the best out in me. And I'm very lucky, very fortunate to um, have been with that group, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, you reached two Premiership finals in your first few seasons at Leicester. Losing to London Moss and Sale Sharks. Mm. What are your memories of those? And as a young player, did it make you hungry for success? My memories of those. I remember the Sale game was a really wet day, and um, we'd been we played some really good rugby that year. Well, they are sharks. Yeah. Well, there you go. And then the, the Sharks beat the Tigers in the wet, didn't they? So as you'd imagine, <laughs> they would. Um. So, yeah, I think it did push me on because I wanted to. I wanted as I wanted to win things, but I was always. We were always in the finals, so it felt very normal. And actually, as a, again, it was. It's not normal to be in finals every year, but as a, that group, um, they were they're such a strong group that we were. And then we lost to Wasps as well, as you said. And um, I remember we'd beaten them two, maybe even three times that year before that point. Um, so we were pretty confident going into the game and, and, you know, it doesn't matter for anything in a final. anyone. Yeah, in a way, you underestimated them and got stung for it. There you go. You're really good at um, <laughs> aren't you? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> you are. <laughs> um, you won the 2007 Premiership final against Gloucestershire. Gloucester, I mean, what are your memories of this match? Um, we played really well that day, and I remember it being a, a nice, warm day, and um, we won quite comfortably. And some of our some of our um, big guys, we had a really big, massive team. So Alessana Tuilagi was a huge man. Um, Sarah Rabeni, a huge man. That's just in the backs and. We had a lot of power and um, we managed to just sort of make that power count and just were really physical. Um, Yeah, fantastic to finally win for me there because obviously having lost the last two, you know, we were really, we were really hungry for it and, um, you know, got it, got it across the line that time. So it it meant a lot. You played rugby for a long time. You must have seen some funny practical jokes. What was one of the best you've seen you have seen and who were the jokers in the team? <laughs> um the best I've seen, well there was there's um there's one where a player, I think I shouldn't name names really, left uh, uh an old fish it got borrowed the car keys of one of the other players and left an old fish in, in hidden in under the boot bon, in under the boot covering. 
and um, it was <laughs> for weeks, and obviously it didn't smell very nice. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. A fish. <laughs> uh, yeah, a fish. Okay, the last guy we said we interview mentioned someone gluing someone's shoes to something. <laughs> Another one guy cutting holes in socks. Yeah, not rugby players aren't very nice. Cricketers quite. They do a lot of practical jokes as well. I remember playing in a cricket team and um, one of the guys left all of his cricket kit in the room and then when he came back, it had been all of his kit had been taped up so he couldn't <laughs> couldn't use any of his kit. Just Well, vengeance is there. Yeah. One of your um, former teammates, we asked this question to all the players and the most popular answer is um, Lewis Moody. Moody, yeah. yeah. His name comes up quite a lot for that yeah. question. He would definitely be up there. Um, he he likes practical jokes. He's good. He likes a bit of fun, and um, yeah, he's not afraid to to get it, get it out there as well. He's a yeah, definitely a practical joker, Lewis Moody. I'll, I'll vouch for that one. Um, we spoke to your former team mate. Jordan Murphy on the podcast a few weeks ago and we got back in touch with him and told him you were coming on our podcast. <laughs> Jordan said to ask you about the day we played Sar- Saracens. At- <laughs> you have a couple of good memories from that game. <laughs> that he's laughing says a lot. It does. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure I can't um, tell that story, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, I got hit in the in the stomach um very early on in the game <laughs> yeah and yeah and it i, I just honestly can't tell that story <laughs> like that. jordan too is embarrassing a, or is it too well it's embarrassing but it's quite well yeah i had a little yeah i had a little accident let's say early on in the game we can work it out but obviously, I had to wait till half time. Oh, anyway, let's let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was apologising to people at the bottom of rooks and stuff. <laughs> at least anyway, we'll move on. <laughs> in in two thousand nine, you made your debut for England. What was it like getting a call up, and what was the lead up to the game like? Um, <clears throat> it was great to get a call up because it was the, the England head coach at the time was my old um my first ever club captain it was martin johnson so he phoned me up to tell me that i'd got on this tour and i was um yeah very excited as you can imagine um but it was great for him to get the call from him as well um and then the lead up to the game was we were in a bit we were we were doing really well at leicester and in all the finals that year and and won the premiership and stuff. And then the lead up to the game, we actually played our game against Argentina. We played at Old Trafford, the um, Manchester United football ground. Um, So that was pretty, pretty special to be, um, to be up in the North of England in uh, one of the, you know, the most iconic stadiums in the world really so that was that was fantastic and I I got off the bench and got 20 minutes I think so um yeah it was good really good how did you find a step up from from club to country I only played a couple of games to be honest and it was um I think the top end of 
the European game was quite close. So the real top end games were quite close to that of international rugby or the international rugby games that I played. But it's so I think what it is is it's phys- it's really physical and it's really fast. And that's what you that's what I sort of took away from what international rugby was all about. So lots of agility then. Lots of lots of there's lots of they're all really good athletes. I always think this rugby player rugby is played by normal people, and then international rugby is probably played by proper athletes. They are, you know, really quick, really strong, really agile, um, and and really good at rugby as well. So they have uh, all of it. You know, they're, they're the complete package. If you haven't already, then be sure to download our new app, Gold the home of challenges. Post and take on challenges, call out your friends, and top leaderboards. Challenges can be about absolutely anything, so be as creative as you like. Be sure to follow our social media, too, for awesome giveaways. That's gold. Do you think you should have played more for England, and (laughs) why do you think you were not selected again? Um... No, I don't know. I should have played more for England. Not really. I, I wasn't... I wasn't one of those athletes that I was just talking about. I wasn't good enough, I don't think. Um, I, the reason I didn't play again, I was involved in the squad, but um, unfortunately tore my hamstring off the bone. Yeah. and um, <laughs> Off the bone, yeah. <laughs> and um, I lost quite a lot of, well, any of the speed I did have. So I was always... Struggling a little bit after that. There, there is a lot of talk at the moment about how to make the game a rugby safer. In your opinion, what needs to be done, if anything, to make the game safer? <clears throat> I think um, coaching from an early age, correct and a really good tackle technique will help people um <laughs> will help people drop their heights and i think that'll take a lot of the the head on head collisions out of the game we need to make sure we make it safer but we also we don't we don't want to change the game too much do we because there's a reason we like um we like rugby and it is so it's an interesting one i think co- i would coach tackle ten i'll try and encourage people to tackle to bend at the hips and and tackle lower, really. That would be my um, the way I'd look at it. Mm-hmm. Sam, I just wanted to just pop in and ask, because speaking to lots of rugby players, they mentioned that during training, obviously you're a coach now, so during training they reduce the amount of physicality in training in terms of tackling and work a lot on more like positioning and skills. Mm. And then 20, 10, 20 years ago when you do a lot of hitting, physical hits, do you find in training are you trying to reduce the amount of physical contact or or not? Yeah, um, it's trying to get a, a level that is um, s- at certain times we want to go uh, full on, but not in training this is, but not very often. And then it's about looking after the boys, um, their heads, their bodies, so that they're raring to go on a mm-hmm. Saturday. We've, we interviewed a rugby player a few what, terms back yeah. who, let's just, they made me go eee <laughs> uh, his poor body yeah they they do get um, 
well, rugby's a physical game. And so, yeah, I think we do, we do try and um, calm the training down a little bit so that it can, um, yeah, and just save it for the matches, really. I suppose that's the best way of putting it. At least it. no one lost an ear. <laughs> <laughs> that was last week, wasn't it? Yeah. What was that in then? What happened in that? We, we we interviewed Mick Foley a few a week or two ago, and as you know, he, one of his ears kind of sorta ripped off, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, oh dear. But yeah, we interviewed WWE wrestler Mick Foley, and he's only got right. one ear. Blimmin'. <laughs> what? Well, what do you expect? He it's what he literally went into matches where the the the, the stadium was literally rigged to go kaboom. <laughs> Wowzers, <laughs> was it? I'd love, I'm gonna go back and listen to that one. That sounds uh, an excellent. Then there's the then there's the Hell in the Cell incident. Mm-hmm. You know, the one he got thrown off twice. <laughs> in, in 2010, you left Leicester to join Bath. Why did you decide to leave the club, and why did you choose, choose Bath? Um, it was that was the time when I tore my hamstring off the bone. So um, that still makes me go. Yeah, I hear it. Yeah. Part of that um, was the reason I left uh, Leicester as well. And I didn't really, there wasn't an offer for me there. And um, so I looked elsewhere and um, I took my, I did look into France, thought about maybe going to France. And I had a young family at the time and thought that'd be a good experience. Um, but went down to Bath and um, loved it down there. Great part of the world to live and my family and and uh, myself had a had a great three years there. What's the biggest difference between ba- Leicester and Bath? Well, at the time, um, from a rugby playing point of view, and back then at the time, Leicester were always in the hunt for the the always in the hunt for the the finals, and were a really professional outfit. And I think Bath um, were on a journey trying to become that professional but certainly weren't there weren't there yet so um it was very different i remember being at leicester and it was always quite a hard place to train and um and a and a pressured environment and then i went to bath and it was all sort of quite relaxed and which i loved for a period and then after a little while it frustrated me to be honest and i found, I found it difficult because i was so used to being pressured all the time um, you retired in 2013. Why did you decide to retire from rugby? Um, I I played a, so much. I played a lot of rugby, and um, my body wasn't holding up as well. Um, at that point, so I I could have dropped down the leagues and played at a lower level, but I knew I wanted to get into coaching and had a good opportunity to do that. Um, and I thought rather than I thought I'd just jump onto that and get going with what I wanted my future to be um, yeah and um, so the opportunity came and I thought that it was the right one to take You moved into coaching in 2013 how did you find the move into coaching and why did you choose Worcester? Um <clears throat> It's very different. Coaching to playing is is very different. So uh, organising everything, your days are much longer. Um, your um, 
suddenly become you're not one of the boys anymore so you can't you're actually one of the coaches so you have a different relationship with all of those uh players so it's a bit of a jump out of playing um but i love rugby i love sport and i wanted to stay in in it um and i had an opportunity at worcester who um were looking for an uh, um an academy coach at the time and it, it it felt like the right thing for me to do they were really trying to grow their academy and dean ryan brought me in um to do that and i loved it it was such a um such a good start to my coaching career dean was very good with me and um i learned a lot from him you, you became a back coach at the club can you tell us more about that role, please? What was your job and how did you improve the team? Um, my job was to look after the back line. So the guys with numbers 9 to 15 on their backs. And um, uh, we had a good back line. And so the way we tried to play the game was to move the ball with with these guys. And I, I think I improved the team by... Um, allowing people to express themselves and encouraging them to be um, the best they could be and encourage the players to be better every day. Um, and I think that was my, the way I improved that, the way I improved the team. Yeah. Good question. That. Thanks. <laughs> what is your biggest weakness as a coach and how are you trying to improve that? A very good question. Um, my biggest weakness would be how quickly I can forget, how quickly I lose my sort of sight on what I'm trying to achieve. So if, mm. uh, or I'll, I'll lose my temper to say, oh, don't do that, rather than actually understand why, why someone's doing that. Um, and it's usually in the moment, in the tense times when you're doing it. And then actually when you step back, you think, oh, I wish I didn't, I wish I hadn't reacted like that. And I wish I'd um, taken my time. So I'm trying, actively trying to stay nice and calm and always think of the bigger picture. And mm. you know, players aren't, players aren't trying to make mistakes. They're not trying to um, you know, drop balls or whatever the what it is, um, and basically just make sure I get back on track as quickly as I possibly can. Today on the podcast, we decided we wanted to talk a little more about autism to help our listeners understand it more. So, Tom, how do you think autism is both a gift and a curse? Well, coincidentally, I mentioned it on two different episodes in the past, and I said the main reason is is like. Because there's different, like, spectrums of autism, sometimes it's like, I've, I've, because, like, some people in the past haven't been aware that they're autistic. Like, for example, mm. in my childhood, I learned that late in my childhood. And then others, they're like, um, they kind of feel overwhelmed when having autism, which can also be really relatable. Mm. But the other good side of autism, which I also, um, just to jog people's memory, I remember I mentioned about um, a thing called echolalia, which I have. It's not it's not anything serious. It's mm. just like basically where from Sad time to time I Sad repeat disease. things from um, like movies or real life. Um, I only learned that like two years ago when like a teacher um, 
in our school like when i i asked about it because i noticed a lot of students of autism do have that um like some kind of repeating it more for the day than others um i still sometimes do it but it's not like constant it's only occasionally so um but yeah but there's a lot more positives in autism than negatives so mm. <laughs> well personally for me i've noticed that it's a gift because we can because we tend to be able to think better than people without autism only occasionally we're not trying to insult anybody please don't hate me <laughs> but i noticed that sometimes autistic people pull can understand more than people think Mm -hmm. however i notice it's a curse because most because some unfortunately there are people out there who simply don't trust us kids with us with autism they think we're i think they basically think we're trouble or that we're wrong when we shouldn't really be here i have noticed that people some people do treat others like they don't belong and how does that make you feel well it kind of upsets me i mean no one has a right has no one i repeat no one has the right to tell you you don't belong only you decide if you belong or not no one else it's up to you to decide that like this it's like kind of like this thing i made up a few years ago it's one time i wrote down this light doesn't mean good and dark doesn't mean evil it's up to you to decide that all all i wanted to add is is like um I'm glad that from this podcast, uh, our our viewers and guests can also get yeah, because like they get more of understanding of autism. Mm-hmm. Because like even even if you knew about autism before, you get that extra knowledge. I and and as I hear every day, whether it's people from in school or out of school, every day you learn something new. Even if it's mm-hmm. something that you learn in the past, it kind of just like uh, rotates in your memory. So mm-hmm. that's it. What skills do you need to be a successful coach? Um, I think you need to be able to listen. Um, listen to uh, listen. You need to be able to you, you need to have a good understanding of the game. And I think you need to have an understanding of a philosophy and how you want to change players or how you want the game to be played um and then it's all about relationships really what i'll turn the question on to you guys what do you think i'm a, a basically i'm a i'm a teacher really in a in a very general sense what do you think makes a good teacher um i'd say like like being professional about it like where like you kind of like lead the players on what to do like because if, if you if you guide them, then at least you'll know, like say, like oh, this is how you tackle them, and then like this is how like, you get to the to like the other to like score, like because like if if they if if they don't well, know that, that does he mean? I think he meant teachers in general, not our our PE teacher. Oh, <laughs> oh no! I mean, what any of them really? Any a specific teacher or or just teachers in general? Yeah. What do you well, think, Alicia? Well, well, me, I think generally all teachers need to have one thing, respect for their pupils. If you don't, if you can't respect your pupils, how do you expect them to respect you? Yeah, I think that's a good one. I like that. In 2017, you joined England for the summer as this England skills coach. 
What was it that like for you? And would you be interested in joining up with England again in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great experience. I did a seven-week summer period where I knew I was only doing seven weeks and I wasn't going to continue to do that job. So it was a, um, it was a real... I jumped in and Eddie Jones was the the coach at, at the time. And my experience of working with him was really good because he, he, he was, he's excellent at um, coaching and I learned so much from him. Um, but he is a bit of a, he's, he's tough to work for. He really pushes his staff um, pretty hard and um, sometimes too hard, I think. Um, and um it was really interesting, a really good learning environment for me. Knowing that I was only there for seven weeks, knowing that there was an end point to it, I could keep going, but but I know some of the staff that were working for him in such a pressured, intense environment, um, you know, it was tough on them. But for me, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And I can't thank Eddie enough for what he's done, what he did for me. Okay. If... We spoke to some of your former teammates. <laughs> what do you think they would say about you? Um, I think they would say that I'm a happy sort of person. Um, um, smile quite a lot. I think they would say I tried, re- try, always tried my hardest. Um, I think they would say I'm not a very... I'm not very quick at running or very strong. <laughs> I'm not a very good athlete. Oh, dear. <laughs> um, uh, and I think they'd say that I thought about the game a lot, probably, if they were talk- talking rugby. And hopefully that they enjoyed playing rugby with me. Um, before the start of the season, you became head coach at Northampton. What... Skills and qualities made you stand out as the best man for the job? Um, oh, that's a tough one, isn't it? Um, I think um, I've been doing the job for, or lots of parts of the job for quite a few years whilst Chris Boyd was the director of rugby. So I was doing um, lots of elements of what that job was going to be anyway. Um, so had quite a bit of experience of it. Um, I'm quite organised in, I'm quite organised, not always as organised as I'd like to be. Um, and I think that was probably part of uh, part of it. And I think the way I like to play the game and that my philosophy on rugby is what, um, is what Northampton wanted as well. And, and at the time, it's a nice fit, a good fit. What has been the, your biggest challenge since becoming head coach? Um, I think it's always when you're you take more responsibility and you're managing more people and more areas um, that the relationships are the most important part of that, and some relationships are easier than others um, to get the best out of. Um, that player to get the best out of that member of staff um, and sometimes those relationships are easier and sometimes they're they're quite tough so I think that's probably been the 
the biggest challenge and sort of work on that I've got. What advice would you give to someone who has just started their careers as a rugby coach? I would say um, always remember what you are, always remember what you are, have, make sure you're strong on your ideological and philosophical beliefs. Um, you believe them for a reason, I assume, when you go into this coaching. And I think it's quite easy for um, it's quite easy for coaches to get dragged down by all the pressure of having to win, having to um, having to you know having to get results all the time. That it's quite easy to turn into someone that actually you didn't want to be in the first place. And I think it's really important to remember where you came from and what. Yes. Mm -hmm. You are currently fourth in the premiership. What is your expectations for the club this season? Um, I think this season we've been a little bit up and down in terms of our, how we've, how we've performed. Um, So hopefully, and my expectation is for us to be in the top four by the end of the end of the season now the way we can we need to get there is to make sure our performances are more consistent and um that's what i'm focusing on so the results will look after themselves if we perform well so i'm concentrating on us trying to make us perform well or help us perform well do uncomfortable situations bring the best or the worst out of you? And can you think of a time you're in an uncomfortable position? Um, I think it depends a little bit on the nature of it. Um, I can, mm-hmm. in panicky situations, I'm quite good at reacting and getting... I think on your feet person. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what I'd, I would class myself as. Um, uncomfortable situations around um, relationships they're slightly different aren't they yeah you sometimes you try and eke yourself away from someone you know if you've upset them going (laughs) 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 there you go so I think I'm um, good in some areas of those Mm -hmm. I found that if you tick off someone you know they're the people you need to watch out for (laughs) They're more, they're more terrifying than you think. I know. There we go. <laughs> Sam, I just wanted to come in because we've got um, a few questions before we finish from a few Northampton Saints fans. If oh, uh, right, okay, to ask them. So Neil Wooden asks, how much dialogue is there between the Saints coaching team and the England coaching team, either about players form for Saints or feedback from the England camp? Back to you. Um, <laughs> in historically so in the last regime uh under eddie jones i think it's been a little bit lacking probably in terms of uh, the feedback either way really um i think it could there is some there definitely is some um whilst those our boys are away with england um it's sort of a little bit limited we we know that they're playing we then know that they're not playing um and but at the end of the Six Nations or the end of the Autumn Internationals, we'll get a, a feedback sheet, which is pretty generic, to be honest. And uh, um, and that 
is the, the pretty much most of the feedback. I'd like to think what some of uh, the coaches like to get around and interact. So around the clubs. So we'll have the forwards coaching, the bats coaching occasionally. And I think we could probably, that could happen a little bit more would be, would be my way of doing it. And the last question from Saints fans is, Leicester need a new director of rugby at the end of the season. Interested. <laughs> I've got another year on my contract, um, so uh, there was no thoughts of moving on. What are your current thoughts on England rugby and how do you think they will do in the World Cup? Ooh, well, there's obviously... There is, isn't it? There's a lot of change at the moment in English rugby and um, disappointing, so this was um, that we just lost to Scotland... Uh, in the Six Nations, I think there are some signs of improvements, but I think there's um, a good way to go before we're going to be competitive in the Six Nations or the um, World Cup. I think we'll do all right in the World Cup, though, because... Yeah, yeah. however, I have noticed one thing about our England teams. They tend to get too cocky. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, to be honest, the England rugby team... Are struggling a bit at the moment, so that they don't really have a place to be cocky. So hopefully that will ground them, and therefore we'll be better. I think we'll be all right in the World Cup. I think all right. Yeah, I think we'll be all right. I think we'll always be tough to beat. So, um, and I think Steve Borthwick will m- make us better. Um, and I think by the World Cup they'll have a, they'll be a better rugby team. Mm. Quick question about the current England team. Often there's a lot of talk about Marcus Smith, Owen Farrell, 10 and 12 and getting the right combination. If you were England coach right now, what would your who would be 10 for you? <coughs> um, that's a good question. I'm probably going to skip it as well. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I see. You don't want anyone after your head. <laughs> I think it's really important that you get the balance right in what happens in the middle. So in the middle, I mean the 10, 12 and 13. Um, and I think that not we've not nailed that down yet. It's not working smoothly. Um, but then I think that's very much dictated to by how you want to play. So if you want to play in a certain way, I would play Owen Farrell. If you wanted to play in a, another different way, I'd play Marcus Smith. I wouldn't change week to week. I would... I would just, you know, as a England team, we are going to be this team and therefore this would be your guy. That's the way I would look at it. And um, there's a little way off. I think we've got to, um, we've not got the centres that we should have in the country. I I feel like we need to, our centres aren't quite up to where we need to get them to, where they need to be. Um, before we finish, we would like to play a game of you that we play with all our guests. The game is called Wrong Answers Only. Right. We will ask you a range of questions and you have to give us the wrong answer. Are you it ready? should not be a problem. Um, Favourite ground you have played at? King's Home. Okay. Best, best player you ever played with? Austin Healy. Highlight of your career? Um, losing the Heineken Cup final twice. Favourite TV programme? 
Um, country file. <laughs> the best thing about Sam Vesti is his hair. it's not that bad it used to be you look at a photo of me back when I used to play (laughs) every week on the podcast we like our guests to ask questions to each other so we get a guest to ask a question but they have no idea who the question is going to for this week's question comes from our previous guest who is Leicestershire Cricket Head coach Paul Nixon. Oh yeah, yeah. And he, and he asks if King Charles came to your house for dinner, what would you cook him and why? <laughs> um. Oh, what would I cook him? I would cook him. I would do a a big sirloin of beef steak um, and mm. chips and a nice. Um, balsamic red wine nice. induction because I like it to be honest mm-hmm. <laughs> after you've ha- you've probably make that after having a mini panic attack <laughs> <laughs> or a big one a big one yeah um, yeah we spoke to Paul last week on the podcast and he mentioned when he played for Leicester I don't know if it was when you played for Leicester he joined the Leicester rugby team and did a few sessions yeah it was before me, actually, but yeah, I'm, I yeah, I know that happened definitely. I used to um, play a lot of cricket, so I had um, sessions with Paul actually. Um, so you knew each other because you well, to- yeah, yeah, I know Nick play really well. You used to be a wicketkeeper. Uh, I did, yeah. I was a batsman wicketkeeper. I was a better batsman than wicketkeeper. <laughs> um, could you do the same, please? Can you think of a question for our next guest? But we aren't going to tell you who the guest is. The question could be anything you want. Yeah. Um, um, if you had to do another job, what would that job be and why? All right. All right. Thanks. Um, Let's hope our next guest likes this question. <laughs> <laughs> I would just like to say a big thank you again to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Sam. We really enjoyed speaking with you, and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, thank you, guys. Really good job. Well done as well. Okay, so what did you think of of Sam Vesti? Well, he was another amazing guest on the podcast. <laughs> As usual. And I like not only just like how inclusive he was, like he was very inclusive with like not only like the, how he replied to our questions, but also involving us in like certain questions. Yeah, he asked us one. But I was also surprised that he knew uh, Paul Nixon as well. Hmm. Because like um, as soon as it kind of like he, he kind of like small when uh, we first had it like because it was like i kind of tell that he must have had good memories of him and then he told mm-hmm. him his time where uh he played cricket with him yeah <laughs> must have been quite a bit of fun for him say, as long so. as he didn't hit any windows yeah and i bet they had a fair few banter from dom the dom as well yeah and they bet <laughs> yeah i just hope none of the windows got any of the receiving end of that bot of balls <laughs> there's um, always a few Thanks again, everyone, for listening to the podcast. We appreciate it. Make sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and um, 
make sure if you're not already to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'd also appreciate that. And if you're not already, uh, listen to us on the either the podcast app, uh, Apple Music, or Spotify, or any other podcast um, uh, media. So, yeah, take care, everyone, and we'll see you all next time. Bye. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine. Sports Social Podcast Network.